I'm delighted, we're delighted to welcome Howard Robinson to the studio. Howard, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having um, And you've written a book. Um, you said to me um, about three weeks ago, I want to send you a package through the post. <laughs> and uh, what is it, Howard? Is it flat? He said, yes, it'll get through the door. And it was a book that you'd written. Um, I didn't know that uh, this was one of your many talents. Uh, yeah, tell that's us, my, tell that's us about it. He knows you as a tap dancer, he was telling me. <laughs> that's, right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I wish. Um, yeah, no, that's my third one. It's a, uh, it's a, it's just a, a hobby, really. Lovely. And uh, what do you do then to make your bread? Uh, I co-own a PR company. All oh, right, right, right. Yeah. PR. How it is, Mr. PR? Oh yeah. Mr. Well, we PR, that far. <laughs> Master PR. Um, and uh, so this book is called The Sixth Republic, and obviously it's a, a very telling title. It's a reference to French politics. Absolutely. And we look over the English Channel. And we see uh, Marine Le Pen, who has taken on the family business, yep. fallen out with her dad. Big time. But taken the family business and tried to make out that her form of right-wing agenda is mainstream. Normalise it. It's worrying, isn't it? It's concerning. And it's concerning because it's gaining legitimacy and it's gaining traction. And you have a French presidential election in May and the polls look very favourable for her at the moment which doesn't mean, of course, that she's going to win, but she's certainly uh, setting the pace. Mm. So what do you think would happen if she did get in? Would we see more, uh, like, the anti-Muslim sort of, you know, can't wear burqas, things like that? Would we see more things like that coming in? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think, I mean, I think any number of things could happen. Yeah. Um, because, you know, once you... There's always been far-right politics. Um, there always will be far-right politics. There's always been the scope of demonising the outsider. Yes. The problem with it is once that gains legitimacy and it gains power, it's actually then very difficult to stop. But do you remember when they had that councillor that nearly got in and the French public went mad and started protesting about ten years ago? Yeah, I mean, they, they did... Would the, that happen, the, yeah. front, the front did very, were doing very well in the polls for the last round of regional elections. Yeah. And did very well in the first round. The French have runoffs uh, in their elections. And what actually happened was the two mainstream parties uh, actually decided not to oppose each other in the second round just to ensure that the front didn't win. Whether that would happen in a presidential election if she gets through to the second round, mm. assuming that nobody wins it on the first round, yeah. it then comes down to who she's up against. Now, um, Howard, um, you wrote this book... Um a while ago. Um, yeah, this it, was written back end of 2014. Right, okay. So, um, a couple of years ago. Uh, but as you say, um, you fear that it's a horrible risk of becoming non-fiction. Uh, the Sixth Republic asks what happens when the country you have always called home decides you're not welcome anymore. It imagines what life might be like in France under a future far-right president as told through the stories of a series of different families. It begins with France having elected her first far-right president who wastes no time in moving to create a nation only for those that she deems to be authentically French. This includes the closing of French borders, the imposition of bans on ethnic minorities, and the creation of guarded communes in remote parts of the country to which all members of ethnic communities must be sent. I go up and down a London street today, and uh, you have to look quite a long way before you find someone who may have been born here. The idea that we live in a multi-ethnic society beyond um, the dreams, perhaps, of uh, most people, um, could it actually happen? Could you produce an all-English 
nation, uh, you know, it is a nation of mutts, and isn't France also a nation of mutts now? Don't we live in a multi-ethnic society that you can't sort of get rid of people who aren't French or whatever Nick Griffin calls English? I think the problem with, the, the issue with, with France is France has undergone um, a year of horrific terrorist attacks, the Paris attacks, the Nice attacks, um, and when, and that, that's, you know, fertile ground for extremism. Once people believe that, the, that the, their current leaders are unable to protect their families and keep them safe, and somebody more extreme comes along and says that to them, and says, you know, as unpalatable as it is, we have to protect you and we have these extreme measures that will protect you, people begin to believe that actually perhaps that's the case. And that's, if you like, that's the opening of Pandora's box. Um, so it might be, you know, there are, there are cities in France, Marseille is, is, uh, has one of the highest Muslim populations in Europe, but it's about perception of being safe and protected that leads to uh, traction for organisations like that. And that's what they want, isn't it? The, te the terrorist groups want to cause this rift in society. It's bizarre in, in a sense, because if you look at it like that, they're playing into each other's hands in, a, yeah. in, a, in an odd way. Um, you know, uh, President Hollande is, is about as unpopular as unpopular can be. Um, so most French voters are probably sitting there thinking, well, he's not going to get re-elected, so what are my options? My options are the, the centre-right, or the far right. Mm. So which one of those best offers me and mm. my family safety and security and protection from these terrorist threats? But what was your view on what would happen if, say, they got in and they started bringing in these laws like they did in Nazi Germany in the, in the 20s? And what, what, what would your view be on... Because it's a different world, isn't it? You've got Germany and they're in the e EU, France. Wouldn't there be implications with the EU and with Germany? Obviously, would look at this as in horror, hopefully. Well, you'd hope so, but if a, if, a, if a president is democratically elected as the leader of, of, yeah. of a country yeah. and suddenly decides, with a majority, democratic majority, I'm going to shut my borders and I'm going to do this... They could just leave Europe anyway. Well, she's, uh, yes, I mean, she's already indicated that she, you know... I mean, I, I, I must stress the book's fiction, but, uh, you know, but, yeah. but Marine Le Pen has already uh, indicated that she would move quite quickly for a referendum on France's membership of the European Union. Um... And because it is a French concept, the European Union, as much it is, as it is a German one, um, if the French voted to leave the European Union, that literally would be the end of the project. Yeah, you'd have to I say... Mean, it wouldn't it, be in it, Brussels it, for much longer, would no, it? I mean, you, you'd have to say it would then seriously call into question the future of the European Union as it is presently. Yeah. Do you think it could happen, though, your, 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 what you say is fiction, do you think could occur? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be scaremongering, but I think one of the things that, that people often come up with is, that, you know, that it can't happen again and it can't happen in Europe. Yeah. Things don't necessarily happen quickly, yeah. um, and often it's the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And I, I was saying to Johnny before, you know, uh, and I don't really want to make too much of an association between this and, and what happened in the 40s, but... You know, Hitler was, in quotes, democratically elected in Germany in 1933. Yeah. Uh, Kristallnacht, which was the, 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 the attack on Jewish businesses and shops and synagogues, well, that took place in 1938. So you have a five-year transition, yeah. at which point you have a steady erosion of civil liberties. 
each in and of themselves in this context may not seem you know a, a the huge issue. Burka seems like one of those little things. Banning Burka, there's one that I refer to in the book. There are some towns that are under uh, control, under Front National control, that that moved uh, a couple of years ago to ban non-pork or pork substitute meals in schools, which in and of itself doesn't sound a particularly threatening yeah. thing, until you realise that actually if you're a Muslim child or a Jewish child or whatever and you don't want to eat pork in schools and suddenly you've got nothing else to eat, you begin to wonder, actually, is this an exercise in moving Muslim children or Jewish mm, children yeah, or whoever yeah. out of schools? What the people who want to advocate the banning of anything which is part of the identity central to either a Muslim or Jewish person, what they don't realise is um, it marginalises and it creates fear within that community uh, yeah. and it makes you think, I'm not as French as I thought I was. I have the French accent, I laugh at French jokes, I go to school with French people, I am a Frenchman. Oops, they banned my burqa. I, they, I have to, I, they, I, I don't know what's got pork in it. I'm not a French person anymore. A, there's that, which is the authentically French idea, but also an awful lot of the people that you're referring to would have been people who would have been born in France. Yeah, so this yeah. is not a migration issue. This is a lot of people, second, third generation, yeah. people who were born in France. Howard, do you think there is a relationship between the terrorism we have in France and Germany and the fact that we haven't had as much of that in Britain? We don't ban the burqa. We haven't banned halal. We haven't banned uh, kosher food, you know. Uh, we are a more accepting, more tolerant society. People might tut when they see women wearing the burqa, but we haven't banned it. We tolerate it. We do. We are Britain. We are better than that. I'd like to think so. What would be interesting, and I hope it never happens, but if we were subjected to a major terrorist incident along the lines of Paris or Nice, is whether that situation here would change. We've not had that yet. Um, and I don't know what the implications of that might be here. And I also think it's, you know, in the same way as it is in France, I think, and you referred to this at the beginning, I think the situation in London is very different to the situation in other parts of the country. Mm. Oh, we've got one precedent in the uh, Oswald Mosley. He got no traction here. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. doesn't do well. No, no, no. No, we, we laugh. Are. We laugh at uniforms. Uh, we don't like authority yeah. in this country. We are, we are generally, I think, just a little bit more laid back and a little bit less politicised. And protective of our freedom uh, and democracy, a bit like America. In very America. much. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Um, if I might, if I can uh, read um, an extract from the book, uh, which is chilling as well as uh, written well as it is, Howard. I must congratulate you on a, well, thank you. a really good read. And uh, I've written three, read three quarters of it. I'm going to finish the rest of it later. Cool. Um, this is about uh, transporting people out of where they live and putting a big question mark on whether the property uh, that they've owned uh, in that country still is owned by them mm -hmm. and uh, being redistributed to what is called French families. That is exactly what happened to our family um, in Vienna, in Austria. Um, and thousands of others. I mean, most property, people, property was taken off in our family. And uh, my grandma um, went back to Vienna frequently in the 70s and 80s, fought for it and got some of it back, which is quite an incredible achievement. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I just want to uh, read this. Um, this is about Jewish people and indeed Muslim people um, moved out of... Um, a town called Drancy. Um, quotes, I feel like Tevia's wife in Fiddle on the Roof, Matilda muttered as they joined the queue shuffling towards the entrance of Drancy Railway Station. What are you talking about, replied Claude. 
Golda in Fiddler on the Roof, that bit at the end where they're all packing up their belongings and preparing to leave Anna Tevka because of the pogroms. I feel like that right now. Mama, this really is not the time to be joking. That's where you're wrong, my darling. This is exactly the time to be joking. They want us to be cowed, to be intimidated, to see what we may be in fear of for our lives. You might be happy to, but I will not give them this satisfaction. Claude shook his head and clasped his mother's hand a little tighter still. It took them nearly three hours of queuing in the cold drizzle before they arrived at a simple reception table manned by um, activists of the far right. Matilda estimated the two men at the table one blonde and one darker, but neither looking old enough to shave to be in their early 20s. They requested their identity papers, which he handed across. The reason I chose Drancy Railway Station yeah. was deliberate. Um, Drancy was a railway station that was used by the Nazis to transport um, to the concentration camps. And if you go to Drancy Railway Station and you walk onto the platform, they very simply have on the paving stones on the platform, they simply have the names of... Uh, the concentration camps, and beneath it, the number of people that were transferred from that railway station to that camp. So that were, that was quite intentional. Would there be an international outcry from across the waters from Theresa May, who would still be in power, presumably, and the United States, hopefully not with Donald Trump in power, and of course the State of Israel, um, who have been rather vocal amongst some of their uh, major politicians in encouraging French people, Jewish people, to go and live in Israel. And uh, that's caused some unrest, mm -hmm. diplomatic unrest between France and Israel in the time. Could this happen, for example, with this group of willing countries who aren't overtaken by far-right politics, uh, an interest power like Israel, for example, and a country 25 miles away over the border, uh, over the water in Britain? Absolutely, no this, doubt. This... T tell me how this, this, this can't happen the same way again, because this is essentially a repeat of 39 to 45. I don't think it can happen exactly the same way again. I'm absolutely convinced there would be an outcry. But at the end of the day, what can they do about it but have an outcry? It's true, and they say it never again, and then we saw Rwanda, and now we're seeing Syria, hundreds of thousands of people yeah. that are being killed. I mean, it's it, not, never, never again, is it? You know, if, somebody, if somebody comes in and declares that the borders be shut, and the borders yeah. are shut... Yeah. You know, all the outcries in the world, whether it's about Jewish people or people based on, you know, Muslim people or people based on sexuality or, or yeah. faith or whatever, all the outcries in the world are not necessarily going to actually make that person change their mind and reverse that policy. A chilly message from Howard Robinson, the author of The Sixth Republic. He is in the studio with Johnny Gould and Ash right here on Talk Radio. Book your call to speak to Howard. He's here and uh, we'd welcome your call. Yeah, you're talking. Yes, sir. We're here in the studio with our special guest this hour. It's Howard Robinson, who's written a book called The Sixth Republic. It is a, uh, a chilling uh, tale of our near future. Hopefully not, but uh, it asks the simple question, what happens? When the country you've all known decides you're not welcome anymore, this surrounds France, deciding uh, to elect its first far-right president, and Marianne Mercier wastes no time in trying to create a nation only for those she deems to be authentically French. And that means life for those labelled the enemy within people like a young Muslim uh, woman and a Jewish teacher become increasingly dangerous. And here in the United Kingdom, admirers of the new French president are poised to engineer a similar scenario. It is 
the Sixth Republic, and it is by Howard Robinson. Howard, um, the title, I mean, when you sent me this book through the post, yeah. I immediately understood what the Sixth Republic meant. It meant the dissolution of what we understand as uh, France's democratic uh, section, uh, ideas and concepts of today, the Fifth Republic. We're currently being, in the Fifth Republic. Indeed. How's, being, that, how's that then? Why, well, what's the, why is this the Fifth Republic? Can you explain but, it? Well, I'm not an expert on French history, but there's always been a series of republics at any certain times. And we're in the fifth one. And we're currently in the fifth one. And the Sixth Republic is obviously uh, an attempt to subvert the democratic uh, centrist politics, you'd say, of the last 25, 30 years in France. So I understood this immediately. Um, But it wasn't actually the first title you'd uh, put uh, for this book. It was a a rather... um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, anybody, disturbing anybody who writes, you play around with all sorts of things, titles, some people write and don't actually have a title of the book until they get to the point yes. of publication. I had a working title, which was uh, was the French word for Holocaust, um, which is basically Holocaust with an E on the end. Um, and then like lots of people, I, I got my manuscript to a place where I was comfortable with it. And then you need to find people that you can give the manuscript to who will read it and not come back and say, oh, that's amazing, that's fantastic, but we'll come back and politely rip it to shreds. Or constru- absolutely, constructively rip it to shreds. And one of the things that was really important to me about this book is there is, as you mentioned, there's a Muslim family in France in there, and it was particularly important to me that, um, A, that, that that family was represented constructively, but also that they were represented accurately. Oh. Um, and so um, I gave it to the manuscript to uh, a friend of mine, um, a Muslim guy called Fahim and I said to him take this away and literally do what you need to rip it to pieces primarily I wanted to make sure that I, I, I'm accurate and that it's correct but also whatever else you need to do and so he took it away on holiday um, with his wife and they went off and they, they read it and he emailed me from wherever they were in, on holiday and said you know the one thing that needs to change is the title needs to change um, because the title you're working on is too associated with one particular moment in history, and he was absolutely right. Also, doesn't it say what? I mean, it does, I don't know. I haven't read the book myself, but doesn't it say what's going to happen in the book? That title, where there's this, is more. It kind of as well, and also, you know, with hindsight, the yeah. word Holocaust is far too associated oh, yeah. with the Holocaust with, with, with Jews. Yeah. Um, whereas this is is about more than just Jews. It's about you yeah. know, if you read the book, it's about. Muslims and Jews, uh, it's about a gay couple, yeah. uh, it's about all sorts of people. Of course, there's gay, gay people in the Holocaust, Absolutely. you know what I mean, which is often forgotten. It's about anybody that's really could be classified as an outsider. Yeah. And the moment things get tough, it's the outsider that gets picked on. i tell you what's really strange being um, in the uh, public eye. Every time you say something which is vaguely inclusive or what might be called liberal doesn't matter whether you are a liberal or conservative thinker i'm trolled like mad howard i tell you what i'm trolled by i don't know whether they're being serious or whether it's easy to be a keyboard warrior these days but there's a lot of very very strange nasty unaccepting opinion out there on twitter oh absolutely and i think to be honest the the only way you can deal with that is is kind of not pay too much attention to it um I, I perhaps naively, perhaps liberally, call it what you want. I'm of the firm belief that we have far more in common with each other as people, regardless of what faith or no faith or what sexuality or no sexuality, than ever we do that separates us. 
behavior. And by focusing on the things that separate us, you miss out on the 95% of things you actually have yeah. in common. Yeah, we all like the same things, aren't we? Everybody has to get up in the morning thing. and go to work. Everybody you has support, to support Howard. Everybody has to support. I'm a West Ham supporter. Do you want to fight? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no, we see, we see, we come together because we both like Claret and Blue teams that lose. So, oh, yes, um, well, no, yeah, but West Ham are Claret and Blue because of Villa. You yeah, do know that. I, I didn't know that. We'll teach you that. Right. That's okay, yeah, cool. We'll it's not less. talk sport. We can't tell you why. No, we can't tell you why. <laughs> but we'll no. do it. We'll do it in the brain. <laughs> but but um, this, really, the purpose of this book, and apart from the authenticity of, uh, obviously, you didn't need any lessons in uh, in terms of the, the, the Jewish characters, but certainly the um, uh, Muslim characters, you, you, you said you sent it to a friend and he came back with, uh, with that title. Um, what is the overall purpose of the book is it to fire a warning shot to anyone uh, reading it that may be unaware of these pressures that perhaps minorities feel in uh, in europe in britain even i think the purpose of any fiction that anybody wants to write is one of two things you want to entertain somebody you want to make people think and i think if you write something for any other purpose than you want to entertain you want to tell a story and you want to make people think then you're missing the point. You know, people who write because they want to sell a thousand copies. It's mm. like you write the story you want to read. You write the story you want to tell. And that's all I've done. I mean, I saw a couple of years ago, it emerged out of a conversation I was having one night, late night at a barbecue with a friend and, and his two sons, where he and I said, this could happen again in Europe. And his two sons, both of whom I admire a lot, both said, no, it couldn't. And it just got me thinking. And I said to them, it could. It wouldn't be the same. It sort of did, though, didn't it? Bosnia and, you know, we saw Serbia. We, we saw them being led out into the woods and next. Horrible, you know Absolutely. what I mean? Is that, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Howard, is it happening again? In other words, are we in 1935, for example? Are we in 1933? I don't think we're there. For example, yet. Austria um, have fought a bitter, bitter election battle where a, a far-right president was defeated and then the High Court ruled that... Uh, the result could be overturned. You have the rise of the far right going on in Hungary, in Holland, in Denmark, in France. There is a slow rise of the far right in Germany. There is a far right element in the UK. Um, so the argument is, yes, it is happening. Um, I think part of that is down to it always emerges out of economic circumstances. It always is a, a recession, a, always a 29 crash. Absolutely. And this always. is worse than that, a lot yeah. worse. Always emerges out of, a, out of economic circumstances, and it always becomes uh, a way of blaming the outsider. Scapegoating. Scapegoating the outsider because it makes you feel a bit better about deflects, yourself. Yeah, yeah. deflects away. Absolutely. Is it happening again? Not yet. Could it be this time next year? Possibly. The thing is, people blame the bankers for this, don't they? The, the, the economy, the, the big banks. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I, I, I can't recall it exactly, but it's a very famous, uh, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, you need to be very aware I of mean, it. They can, I mean, obviously, <coughs> there's a lot of Jews in banks and Muslims, so I mean, it, that, that's what, it's a different time now, isn't it? Yeah, there is, but I think the thing, the thing we need to, to categorise is there are... Good people and bad people yeah. in every faith and of no faith. Exactly, yeah. There are good Jews, bad Jews, good Muslims, bad Muslims, good people, good atheists, good bad uh, atheists. Yeah. It has no bearing yeah. uh, on, the, you know, on whether they're a good person or a bad person. People know more about other cultures now. You hope so, anyway. I mean, the, there are certain areas where I think maybe they don't really know. The vast majority of people 
regardless of what their background is. The vast majority of people just want to have a quiet life, just want to live in peace, just want to bring their kids home, just want to go to school, be a good exactly, neighbour. Yeah. 
and he actually spent the last seven years of Nazi rule in concentration camps. Um, and he said, first, good, yeah. first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, but there was no one left to speak for me. Yeah. And I still think that's as powerful and as potent yeah, yeah. now. Yeah. You just change the... Yeah. You can intercept trade unionists for whoever you want. It probably it, still would be trade unionists. It might be. It's still as powerful now um, as it was yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, if that situation happened here, what would you do? Would you join the resistance or would you just get out of the country? Uh, I think everybody would like to believe they'd be brave enough to join the resistance. Yeah. Whether they, whether I would be, I couldn't put a hand on my heart and say that. But the other thing you've got to re you've got to accept is you've got to be early enough to get out of the country. Yeah. You've got to spot it early enough to get yeah, out if, if it's going to go down as, as seriously as something like that. And the yeah. problem that has happened in the past is that people always believed. Yeah. In the faith of the people in their neighbourhood. It'll never be. There's a famous quote: um, the optimists went to the gas chambers. The pessimists are sitting by their pole in Beverly Hills. That's probably true. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. But it's um, wicked. Yeah. It's a well, wicked yeah. quote. Yeah, well, it is, but uh, it's it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's true. People you know, were going, oh, no, that could never happen here, you know. And, and I think the that. minute you say... We're German, that would never happen here. I think the minute you say, whatever the context, and whichever, whatever race or, or creed or sexuality or gender the minute you start saying that could never happen here yeah. then you're in danger of yeah territory. yeah forgetting history yeah and uh, that's that's a, off the trouble with young politicians isn't it you know they don't know about history they've not been around yeah mark carney has just reduced the interest rate at the bank of england from 0.5 to 0.25 percent as if it wasn't low enough for the last nine years he's halted again and it has coincided with the squeezed middle getting poorer, uh, the poorer getting even more poor. Uh, and you just wonder when uh, the economy is going to normalise and that we don't use emergency instruments like lowering interest rates eight or nine years after the first shock of the crash and that central bankers must begin to understand. Do you agree, Howard, that... Uh, these uh, gestures that they make to shore up an economy are actually political gestures too. They're unquestionably political gestures. I think once you have a society where a group or more than one group think that there's nothing in it for them mm. and they're losing hope, whether that's young people who can't find a job or can't get on a housing ladder. I mean, the one thing that, that staggers me is the number of people who are using food banks in the UK. The number of kids that are going to school in the morning because they've not had breakfast. Um, you know, I, I did a little bit of a day's voluntary work with some clients of mine uh, a year or so ago at a school in South London. And one of the teachers was saying, you know, they had so many kids who came to the uh, after school club because it was their only hot meal of the day. Uh. There was one kid who came because and she had shoes on, but there were no soles on the shoes. Once you have that in a modern, sophisticated, supposedly modern, sophisticated city like London, and those people don't have hope and they don't see if there's anything in it for them, that is a, a melting pot of discontent. Um, and there is poverty, no matter what people say. People go, oh, there's never poverty. There are people in poverty in this country. Oh, like, massively like, so. With no shoes. Yeah, massively I mean, so. The gap. 
is absolutely I think, massive. I think that's I think that's probably the point in that is probably people have always been in poverty. But I think the gap is probably wider. And in America, it's bigger than ever, apparently. I mean, you've got, yeah. you've got third world people living in the sewers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... And I think once you have that, then, you know, you, you have a powder cake. Yeah. Howard, where can we find your book? Where can we buy it? How much is it? And all that stuff. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it for download on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. I think from memory on paperback, it's seven ninety nine, And I oh. think it's about £4 for download on Kindle. Okay, and can you buy a hard copy, a paper copy? You can. You can buy a paperback like this. Very he wide. said paperback, seven ninety nine. Yeah, but where'd you get it from? You have to get it from Amazon. You yeah. actually physically yeah. order yeah. it. I, I, Go I, to the Amazon warehouse, knock on the door. It was quite interesting with this one because my previous book, yeah. my <laughs> previous book was my previous book was, uh, was was published, if you like, conventionally. When this one got sent round, I had an awful lot of really positive feedback from people, but nobody would take it because they said the content was too edgy. Really? What's your first book then before that one? What was that about? Uh, previous one was uh, just a normal... Um, How to do normal PR. ...crime thriller. Oh, right. Kind of How yeah. it? It yeah. was too edgy. Yeah, that was the comment that's I got. Good. Was, that's is that, is that's that for good. commercial reasons or are they sort of worried about being putting this stuff to print. What, 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 what do they mean by too edgy? Well, I suspect that they thought that the content wasn't commercially acceptable. Mm. Well, there's every incentive to download it on Kindle or buy it from Amazon, I think, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Howard Robinson, uh, author of The Sixth Republic, Sounds thank you so much for uh, spending time here with us and uh, Guys, thank you, chewing the fat. And yeah. uh, if you are uh, concerned about uh, the rise of the right wing, uh, then uh, please uh, call us 08444991000.